You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest with us, Jonathan Dio. And he is the founder and CEO of Mindful Money, uh, which is a, uh, a tool for planning but, uh, for, to help people make practical financial decisions. Uh, John started out as a financial advisor as well um, in, in 1996, and he's got a lot of years of experience uh, starting his own uh, wealth management practice. Uh, he's invested in uh, you know real estate as well, so we, we want to hear about that. And he's got a book called uh, Mindful Money um, as well uh, on Amazon, so we want to hear um, what are some of the lessons that he talks about for you know everyday people in his book and how we can apply it to our lives through, um, you know, and to achieve that through whether it's real estate investing or, um, you know, planning, um, you know, to, for diversification. So definitely excited to have you on here, Jonathan, and, and uh, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here and uh, have the conversation with you, Anthony. Great. So talk to us about your journey on Wall Street and, you know, kind of how it all started and, and uh, what you're working on now. So a bit of the origin story. Um, uh, so, so actually, I grew up in a, in a family that didn't have a lot of means. And so uh, early on in my life, I was like, okay, I got to figure out how this money thing works because I, I need to not be in this position and be worried about it all the time. Um, and by the way, just as a, we can skip right to the end of this one part is, is even if you end up having money, you still worry about it all the time. Uh, you, you, don't get to, you don't get to not worry about it. Uh, but I did want to, early on, I wanted to develop uh, the ability to create wealth for my family. Um, and because of that, I studied a lot of, I studied a lot about investing and a lot about real estate. My dad had a library of investing in real estate books and flipping and then, and then buying and then, uh, you know, doing some work on it, building up the value, borrowing against it, buying the next one. You know, I read 50 of those books by the time I was in college, um, which means when I went to college, my finance degree bored me to tears. Uh, so very quickly in studying finance, I switched and I became a, a philosophy studies major with a religion minor. I went to seminary to study, uh, to become a Lutheran minister. I shifted from the Lutheran, the path of Lutheran ministry to studying specifically Tibetan Buddhist phenomenology, uh, became a Buddhist academic. Uh, and then my wife at the time said, hey, you know, it's my turn to go to school. So you need to get a job. So I dropped out, didn't, didn't finish a degree in, um, in, in Buddhism. Uh, even if I had finished the degree in Buddhism, there's not a lot of jobs for that. So I went back to what I knew in finance and I turned into a financial advisor. So you know, the full arc is, is seminarian, uh, Buddhist academic, financial advisor. And so now I've been a financial advisor and uh, for 24, 25 years and a meditator for 25, 26 years. Uh, and those, those two things actually really came together in the great, for me, they came together in the great recession, 2008, 2009. So that's, that's sort of the arc. And that's when I started writing the book. And uh, that's when a lot of this stuff, mindful money, that's when mindful money is born. Excellent. No, that's, that's very, very interesting story. There's not every, not every person can say that's, that was their trajectory. Um, and then they, <laughs> you know, pivoted. Um, so when you made that pivot, he, so he wanted to get back into finance. So talk to us about what you 
st- how did you get back into the industry? Obviously, as an advisory role, how did you, as you know, that's what you wanted to do, and 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 um, kind of how did that lead you to where you are twenty five years later at this point? So that re- the reality was leaving the Buddhist studies program and and getting a job. That was just that was purely what do I know. What could I do that would be a job, uh, and I could make some money to support my wife and I? Um, that's really all it was. And so I did that. And what it, you know, at that time, Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter, Morgan Stanley. I was at seven firms in about six years. So it, it just was, you know, merger acquisition. I moved another merger, another acquisition. I moved again. It was crazy. Uh, and and so in that whole process, I was a salesman. For the first five, six, seven years of my financial advisory career, I was a salesman, glorified salesman. Um, but you know, I ended up shifting when I left and started my own firm. I said, okay, to my clients that came with me. I had asked six clients to come with me, six really good friends. I really, really liked working with them. They weren't, you know, always looking for the next trade. They weren't always sort of aggressive trader kind of kind of folks. I asked them what they wanted, and they said, Hey, how about more education and more financial planning? And so I built the firm starting in 2001. Um, so 20, 20 some years ago, uh, I built a firm based on educating my clients and doing deep financial planning, which you know starts with understanding their their origin stories, understanding what they want out of life, and trying to figure out how do we how do we move the pieces into place so that they get what they want out of life. And that's that whole planning dynamic just was non-existent in the Wall Street firms. So it was just literally who can I sell a stock to? Who can I sell a bond to? Uh, and now it's now it's totally different. Now it's you know the investments are appropriate to the plan. Whatever the plan is, that's how we invest. Sure. And, and let's let's talk about the planning aspect a little bit more. So, are you primarily working with families, or are they um, you know one-off individuals, um, or are they pension funds? They trust like who who is your archetype client that you you work with? Um, love to hear. Yeah. So there's there's sort of there's three subsets. You know, mo- the vast majority of our clients up until the beginning of 2020, we're just you know couples, families, or you know multi generational families, uh, and so we work with a lot of those kinds of people. And we have probably 300 families that we do work for, and I've got a team of eight that do a lot in the office to support this whole process and and directly serve those clients. But starting in um, uh, early 2020, we started building digital courses, and we also have a digital advisor. So there's the three people we serve today are primarily still those families that we work with. Uh, and then the second tier is folks that, are, that aren't really ready for an advisor or they don't want an advisor. And so we have, a dig- we have digital tools to support them, both planning tools, and we have um, investing tools. We have a digital advisor partnership with Betterment that's just fantastic. Uh, and then, and then the, third, the third group is we built these courses. So you know, the couple different places in my life, um, you know, when I'm dealing with uh, a transfer of family assets across generations, or when I'm talking to somebody who's never invested before, it becomes glaringly obvious that the one thing that's missing, the, you know, the one, there's probably many things, but one really big thing that's missing in our educational program is something about finance. We teach nothing of value in terms of personal finance to kids, to high school students, 
to college students. And so people come out with these fears and these bizarre concerns and they get, they get bent out of shape about what's going on in media and how that might affect them. And it's just, it's unfortunate because we do, we do our entire culture a disservice by not educating about personal finance. So we built these courses. We offer these courses for free in my neighborhood. We offer them to, to groups. There's been, um, there's been groups of, uh, uh, you know, startup, um, you know, incubators that have given our courses to their students. There's been, you know, teachers and faculty at different schools have given our, our, our classes to their, uh, to their teachers and faculty. The, uh, there's been a lot of, you know, Special Olympics athletes have taken our courses. There's a lot of folks taking the courses, just getting some basic financial literacy in place. That's great. And it's, it's, it's amazing to um, give back in that way and, and serve all different, you know, communities. Um, and it's, you'd be surprised how many people know very little about financial literacy and it's good for you to step in. Uh, so how does, uh, getting back to, you mentioned the real estate and obviously that's what we talk about on the show. Yeah. Um, how does the real estate investing factor into your clients' portfolios? Is it and from maybe an allocation standpoint on if you're looking at an average basis? Um, is it 10%, 20% or, you know, what, I guess, what, and what, how would you advise your clients to invest into real estate, you know, in a passive capacity, because I'm sure that's how most of them would invest, um, you know, under your guidance as well. It's a, it's a, it's actually a great question. And, and, and I, I would say that um, there, there's a value in being active, uh, pa- passive is great. I mean, I'm, there's no, no problem with passive, but if you think about my, you know, the vast majority of what we invest in are, are publicly traded companies. And when you invest in a publicly traded company, you're investing in a couple different things. You're investing in the idea that this company is going to produce a product that gets sold and creates profit. You also, as a shareholder, you have a claim on the assets, which includes the building, the real estate, the land, all that kind of stuff. So you're actually a passive real estate investor just by investing in the U.S. equity market. Um, so oftentimes, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm talking to people a lot about is the, the, the way you build wealth is through ownership, right? If you, if you lend money to somebody, especially today, the rate of return you're going to get on that loan is very, very small, uh, and you're not going to have a ton of upside. Uh, if you own your own business, you know, you, you decide to be a painting contractor or you decide to become a financial advisor or start to, uh, you know, uh, consolidate a bunch of investors to buy a building together. If you own that business, there's huge upside. If you then, as you, you as the owner, there's more upside than the investors who are investing in that passively, right? Um, so there's definitely a reason to be active. And you know, you know how it is, is if you invest in real estate, that is a business. Like that is, you know, there's, there's cash flow in, there's cash flow out, there's debt, there's, you know, there's things break, you got to fix stuff, you got to hire people to fix stuff. You gotta, so there's, it's a business in and of itself. So sometimes it's, it's good to take a little bit less return, still be an owner, take a little bit less return, let somebody else manage all that. I think that's, that, that's the passive approach. Um, most of the stuff that we do that's in real estate with folks specifically is, is we're, we're advising on active real estate. Um, we don't usually put like a 5% piece of the portfolio into real estate because of the overlap between real estate and U.S. equity markets. Because if you, again, if you buy those equities, you own, you have a stake in that company's property and land and all that already. So that's built into the value. Um, But 
you can add a lot of elbow grease value by owning directly a piece of real estate or in a small partnership. Right. No, exactly. And, and so from a, even from a public equities standpoint from, for maybe it's a real estate investment trust, are you looking at for your clients, the dividends that it pays um, more so as the fluctuations in the stock price, because as you know, real estate is very cash flow uh, focused, uh, at least it should be. So what's your what the, thoughts on that? Yeah. One of the reasons I actually really like real estate is because of, well, so we're, we are, we are value investors to begin with. So the things that we're investing in is we're, we're investing. We're, so we, we obviously we have, we're broadly diversified. We own lots of different stuff. Um, but our bent, our tilt, the thing that we favor is value. And what that means is it's not Tesla, Amazon, Microsoft. We own those, but we are underweighted to those relative to things that are, you know, you're buying a certain amount of earnings for the lowest price you can, or you're buying a certain amount of dividends for the lowest price you can, or you're buying a certain amount of book value for the lowest price you can. So that's the function of investing is, is you're not trying to buy something and and get out of it in six months. We're not trading or investing. Investing is a lifetime process. So we're trying to build, to your point, we're trying to build an income stream. And that income stream, you know, rising dividends, rising rents, rising lease rates. These are, these are beautiful things to invest in. They're not as sexy as Amazon or Microsoft or these, you know, the big high-tech Tesla, the big high Bitcoin. They're not as sexy as those things but they are more predictable, long-term, more stable. Um, uh, they're, they're just fantastic investments when you're thinking about, I'd like to have a return for myself and my family for the next 50, 100 years. Um, these are the th- things you want to own for those sorts of things. Right. So how, how do you, th- and I'm going to bring up the GameStop, how do you, you know, how do you, because there's a lot of that, like you mentioned on the media where, um you know, obviously that was, you know, a large short position by individual and investors. Um, and, you know, how do you, and you mentioned Bitcoin too, and these are, you know, besides the GameStop, Bitcoin is really an intangible asset. There's no intrinsic value behind it. It's all speculation and, um, you know, it gets hyped up. So you mentioned that someone who's looking at real estate investments, you know, the, it's not as it's a cyclical game, but it's not as, you know, fluctuating as that, you know, like games, you know, GameStop situation and Bitcoin and, and other highly cyclical stocks. So how do you, I guess, what do you tell your clients on, um, you know, kind of those types of risk profiles versus the real estate, basically what you just said. So, I mean, those things are fun. They're interesting to watch. But the GameStop, I mean, that, that, that's just the, it's just the largest, most recent example of market idiocy that we have in front of us. It's, so that happens all the time. Um, the idea that it was somehow a moral story about David and Goliath, that's just, that's just a, that's a media narrative. That's, that's largely bunk, okay? Um, there were some people that were short. They were hedge fund kind of people. Um, or private equity kind of people. Um, some of those guys got squeezed horribly when a bunch of redditors came in and bought and, and, and you know pushed the price up. But 
the biggest winners were also institutional investors. They were, you know, Fidelity and BlackRock and a bunch of other hedge funds made a killing on this on the spike in the stock going up. And the people that actually drove the stock up, the original purchases, those guys made a killing. Everyone else that got in after the fact, they, I mean, they got right. they got their asses handed to them. They got destroyed and- in this trade. And so this is the thing about this is when you are an investor, when you're thinking about buying something that's going to provide an income 20 years from now, um, you can ignore that kind of crap. You can ignore this. I mean, what Bitcoin is what, 16 years old, all in? And in 2017, it, it hit the point where, you know, it's, I guess it, 2017, it hit 20, 19, 20,000, and then, and then dropped back to 3,000. And then now it's back to 30 something thousand. I mean, it's to say that there is some sort of consistent, reliable way to measure the value of Bitcoin or that GameStop was worth anything close to what people were paying for it is just to not understanding, not understanding, you know, cash flow, not understanding what investing is. Uh, and it's also, who, who was it said it? Somebody, um, uh, somebody said, not my circus, not my monkeys. It's just like, we don't have to play that game. In fact, real wealth is often built not playing that game. And I'm, I'm in the real wealth game, not in the, you know, sexy, cool, uh, you know, fast game. I'm going to, I'm going to let's build wealth for generations game. And that's a different game. Right. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your book and how that kind of, um, you know, like, for example, I had, there's a networking app and I'm not going to knock them, but maybe I will. Shaper. It used to, if you've ever heard of that, it's a, it's basically swipe and it's a business networking app. And it used to be good about a year and a half, two years ago. And I used to network with all sorts of professionals in different industries. Every single person happens to be a Bitcoin expert now and, and, and Forex commodities. Every, everybody seems to be an expert with, with those speculative um, endeavors. So, uh, so talk to us about your book and how you can kind of steer people away from that because a lot of these people don't understand what they're getting involved with. And just like you said, the, the individuals who saw what was happening with the GameStop situation, I knew that was going to go back down. I mean, people, you know, that are um, educated knew that was just, it was just a matter of time for that to just go back down. So yeah. um, how do you, you know, uh, and maybe your book talks about this kind of <laughs> shift the narrative from building wealth over the speculative investments. So I'd love to hear some of your book um, highlights. Yeah. So there's, I wouldn't say the book is entirely about that. So that I, I, you know, in all of my talks and everything that I, that I do, I'm, I'm constantly talking about investing versus speculating, investing versus speculating. And um, I think it was, uh, uh, it was um, Graham that wrote the definition of investing and the definition of investing is, is something that has a, it has a high probability outcome of continued increasing cash flows and a low probability uh, outcome of a you know total utter loss of capital. Like it's, it's investing is not something that we complete in a six month period or a one year period. Um, speculation, the whole point is sort of, I'm gonna buy something today. Somebody else is gonna pay more for it tomorrow. I really don't care what it does. And this is what Bitcoin is. Like there's, there's a, there's a potential long-term store of value play for Bitcoin. It's not big enough for me to engage in, um, you know, and, and to get excited about. So in the book, I taught, there's three sections in the book. Um, the first entire section of the book deals with what I'll call the illusions. And the illusions, I say there's eight of them. We probably don't, we probably won't go through all eight. 
Um, uh, but the illusions are the things that our brains tell us or that Wall Street tells us or the media tells us are the things we should be paying attention to because, because they will help us make better decisions. Um, and if you think about what's, what we've gone over, what we've gone through in the last couple of years, we've uh, entered a pandemic. Markets had the, the response to the pandemic was markets had the fastest you know, 33% decline, 34% decline in history, followed by the fastest 100-day return to, uh, uh, you know, the peak in history. So what, what do we make of that, right? So, so th this concept of, in a moment, we don't know what the future holds. The market is a um, discount mechanism. It's looking at, wow, what, what are we, what's going to come? What are the earnings that are coming down the pipe in the future? And it's discounting those earnings. The further out those earnings are, the greater the discount. Um, and so in a moment in March of 2020, when the markets collapsed, markets were saying, we don't know what the future earnings are going to look like. And so we're going we're gonna to steer clear. And markets collapsed very, very quickly. But then... You start getting you start getting information about you know wow you can still get pickup in restaurants you can still go to the hardware store and get you know stuff delivered I had got a buddy who owns a retail um, game store you know sells board games and card games and D and D and this kind of these kind of books and games and he would do deliveries and he'd take you know pick up on the curbside pickup kind of stuff so I knew he was going to make it um, there's a lot of people that didn't make it but many 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 of us actually got more income, right? Because then the Fed stepped in, then the, the, the US government stepped in, and we saw incomes go through the roof. Um, and we have more savings from last year than we've ever seen. And now we're questioning, now we're asking, you know, Biden is saying, we're going to do another stimulus round. Um, I just hope it's more targeted. Uh, so the reality is, you can't tell the market discounts. And that's why the market collapse, collapses quickly, and then goes, wait a second, if I own this company today, I'm going to get the earnings for 20 years. And this is going to be over in a year, 18 months, over-ish in a year, 18 months. There's no reason to panic here. There's no reason to get, you know, really been out of shape, which is why the market recovered so quickly. And then what happened? Well, then we had an election and the election, you know, drove everyone, if, you know, whichever side of the aisle you were on, you thought that if the other side won, that was the end of the economy as we knew it. Um, and I see that every election, and they, we, you know, this was this was a very contentious election. It was very vocal, very loud, very obnoxious on both both sides, uh, one side especially. Um, uh, it was it was nutty, but markets are markets again. They're looking twenty years in the future. They're not thinking about what's happening this week, this month, this year. They're looking forward. So the entire first section of the book is designed to sort of debunk the myths, the things that we think matter and don't to long term investors. The, the middle section of the book, um, and one of those issues is that speculation versus investing. That's, that's actually an entire chapter in the book is we talk about speculation versus investing. The middle section of the book is, you know, there's thousands of years of research, literally thousands of years of research on what makes human life worth living, what gives us greater well-being, what creates happiness. And so we kind of look at some of the more modern psychological studies. We look at some of what the philosophers have said and what some of the religious studies folks have said, because remember, that's, my, that's, that's a big chunk of my background. And the idea is, if we understand what actually makes us happy, we're in a better position to build our plan, our financial plan, on top of something that might actually prove to be 
um, life enhancing rather than day trading or whatever thing that we're worried about or think about might be. And the third section of the book is literally you start in the, you start the, you know, the first chapter in the third section. And by the end of that, by the end of uh, that section, you actually have a written financial plan. Like it's, you don't need an advisor. You don't need a planner. You can actually just do it inside of a book. And we did that because the vast majority of people don't have financial planners, but if they need some kind of process of financial planning, and I, and I think it's critical. Excellent. How could people find your book, Jonathan? Um, book is hopefully you can go to a local bookstore, keep them in business. Uh, if you can't find a local bookstore, Amazon, obviously is uh, you can always find everything there. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. And how could people find you and, and learn to connect with you? Um, the website's mindful.money. It's, there's no.com. It's mindful.money. And you can find all of our services there. You can find all of our social media there. You can actually subscribe to our weekly commentary there. And we, have a, we have a free course we offer to folks. They want to sign up for it. If they want to reference you in the notes, that's great. Um, uh, it's a free course on you know, establishing your values. It it's looks at your purpose, your meaningful your meaningful purpose and create a vision for your life and then set some goals. Uh, we've got a free course that supports people in that. Awesome. Well, I look forward to checking it out myself and for my audience, you heard it straight from uh, Jonathan's mouth. So definitely check out uh, his platform. And what we'll do is in the show notes, we'll provide links to his website as well as his uh, social media. So you can connect with them directly. And if you liked what you heard and or saw, uh, please feel free to give us a review on iTunes, a rating and review. It helps Jonathan and my message reach a larger audience. Just That's just the way iTunes works. So uh, we'd appreciate that. And just want to thank you again, Jonathan, for coming on the show uh, today and hope to have you on again soon. All right. Thanks, Anthony. It was a pleasure. Thank you.